Hello, and welcome to the Classicist Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, here with Victor Davis Hansen, the Martin and Illy Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Victor, as immigration continues to be a focal point of the national debate, I'd like to have you take us today through what you've identified as a series of ideological contradictions underpinning the way that some people think about illegal immigration. And I want you to just start us with how the fact of immigrating to the United States interacts with the feeling of romance for the place one came from, especially as regards Latin America. Explain for us the tension that you see there. Well, it reminds me when I was teaching at Cal State Fresno, one of my best students who was here illegally uh, and was trying all he could to stay here because he wanted to go to graduate school. I saw him once out during the 187 march, the that controversial ballot measure to cut off aid to illegal aliens, burning the American flag and waving the Mexican flag. And I asked him why he was waving the flag of the country he didn't want to go back to and burning the country, the flag of the country under no circumstances he wished to leave. And I get that feeling every day because we're having ice raids now in the area that I am at, and we have all these grassroots pushbacks. And yet the pushbacks, when you go to the rallies or go by them in a the car, they're all Mexican flags, and they're quite racially chauvinistic, and they're angry at the United States. And yet it doesn't compute because if they're angry at the United States, they can go back to Mexico. And they're Mexican citizens. They're not U.S. citizens. So that was one of the things. I think it it comes from a sense of inferiority that, that they feel that people don't like them here, or they they can't they can't compete because they don't have a high school diploma, or they don't know English, or they don't have capital, or they don't have sophisticated skills. But whatever the cause is, it explains this disconnect. It's incoherent. The other thing that I, I mentioned in, in that that I I still don't understand, and that is that there's never any cognizance recognition of why people are here. So when I go to Mexico, it seems to me a very wealthy country. They have oil, they have strategic minerals, they have wonderful farmland, they've got a great climate, they've got a long coastline, they're, prop- they're positioned between North and, and uh, South America, they have a strategic, they're near the Panama Canal, they have all everything going for them, but nothing works. So the question is, what is it? Is it the lack of a transparent judiciary, bill of rights, constitution, free market economics, private property, separation between church and state? I don't know, but that Western paradigm could quickly reform Mexico, and yet they will not make the needed reforms because they count on us to alleviate their tension by a safety valve sort. It would be much better for Mexico if they couldn't come here illegally and then they marched, instead of marching into San Diego, they marched into Mexico City for redress of grievances. And then, go ahead, Troy, but there was one other thing that I don't understand. About by all means, illegal. go ahead. Yeah. So they can't explain quite why they're coming up here but and they don't want to go back or what the difference is between the two societies. But another thing is they've conflated or they fused together this notion of residency and citizenship. And that if you are physically in a place, then you should enjoy all the rights of that place has to offer legally, politically, culturally, socially. And you and I know if we go down to Mexico, that's not true. And I, I pointed out in the piece that I lived in Greece for over two years, almost three 
and I got all the necessary permits. I paid a very high value added tax on every. I never cheated. I paid the whole thing. I paid very steep taxes on everything from gasoline to tennis shoes. But I never equated that idea that I could tell my Greek friends that I should vote in an election or I should weigh in on politics or when I went to the airport, I shouldn't have to have a visa or I could tell the immigration person that came by my apartment that I just don't really, you know, I don't want to pay you $200 for another month's uh, visa. And yet somehow in the case of Mexico, its citizens have convinced themselves that once they cross the border, they're eligible for all sorts of social um, services. They're even eligible for affirmative action as if they're U.S. citizens that were born into disadvantages, um, which they weren't. And it's surreal. So this Trump came on and sort of took a hammer and he swung it over his head and he threw it in like that Apple commercial of the 80s into the screen and everybody's shrieking. But everybody's sort of saying, you know what? That's kind of a normal reaction, and what was really abnormal was what was going on. The mentality of illegal immigration was just completely Orwellian. There is a school of thought out there that says, okay, sure, someone comes in illegally, probably shouldn't do that, but it's nothing to get that worked up over. It's essentially a victimless crime, and we're really using the wrong vocabulary when we're talking about this as a criminal matter. Most of these are just good people who are, are looking for better livelihood. But you're not quite as sanguine, Victor, that the lawlessness always stops with the border crossing, are you? No, I think that if the first act you do make decision when you cross the border is to break the laws of your host, then breaking other ones becomes even easier, especially if it's with exemption, there's no consequences. So the IRS says there was 1.2 million identity theft-related tax returns by people who were here illegally. And that sort of confirms empirically what I see anecdotally. And if anybody's ever had, you know, I went and hired somebody who was Hispanic. He said he was a citizen. The next thing I knew, my checks, they looked identical to mine. Same color, Citibank, the router numbers, everything, except they had a Hispanic name and an address in a Hispanic area. And then on the back, they had the... Mexicana Marqueta with a fake driver's license, fake Citibank card, and he wrote $1,800 worth of checks on these, stealing my identity. And that's very common. Or I've been hit twice where people leave the scene of the accident. There's no registration. The license plate is either fake or it wasn't renewed. The driver takes off. So what I'm getting at, there's a mentality of somebody who's not punished for breaking the law, that if he if he breaks further laws, that he won't be punished either. And and it's really amazing that, you know, we, we just forgave $100 million in traffic fines because we felt it was not uh, kind or not nice to impound a car of an illegal immigrant who did not pay those fines. So we just had a blanket amnesty. But I was driving not too long ago, and I get into a, a traffic trap, and the ticket was $430. And if I didn't pay that, or if I took a uh, false uh, identity, I'm sure that the Hoover Institution would fire me and they would consider those felonious acts. But I don't know why we give this exemption to people who are not citizens in a way we don't do it to citizens. And as somebody who taught for 22 years in the Cal State system, I never understood that some of my students 
were here illegally and they paid in-state tuition. And I had Hispanic kids who were citizens from Texas and Nevada, Arizona, who were paying three times more as U.S. citizens than foreign nationals were on the bogus argument, well, people in California pay state income tax when 50% of the residents don't pay any state income tax. And people who were from different states who were U.S. citizens, when they were here, were paying the same number of sales tax. But it was, again, a reflection of a mobilized uh, lobbying effort on the part of the Democratic Party, ethnic chauvinists, and the illegal alien community to normalize criminality into something that was just an infraction. And then to put the onus on the critic and almost as if, if you mention this, you're the racist, not us for using ethnic solidarity as a basis to predicate illegal immigration. Right. And you've mentioned before on the show that in California's Central Valley, where you live, the law-abiding population and the illegal immigrant population increasingly live under what are sort of virtually opposite legal regimes. Their interactions with government are almost total mirror images, as you're describing. You also mentioned in the most recent piece that you wrote about this, that that disparate treatment sometimes also cuts against the liberal priors of the groups that are genuinely, generally, excuse me, arguing in favor of more immigration on things like the protecting the environment or protecting animal rights. Describe some of the experiences you've had in the Central Valley. Well, I'm looking out out my yeah, I'm looking out at my window right now as I'm speaking to you from my farmhouse. To the right, I just found some wet garbage, and I could not believe that the person, usually they hide their names, their power bill, their uh, advertising matter, but this had the person's name, and as my wife said to it, that person just self-deported, they wouldn't do that, so I called the number, uh, it was an ample amount of garbage on our road, and of course the phone was disconnected. Later that same night, we woke up with automatic gunfire coming from a house down that I can see right now. And then my wife said, well, it's okay, because she could hear the cockfighting, screaming and yelling and betting from the house across from it, meaning that it must have been just a warning to somebody across the street and that wasn't an actual gunfight that would shut down the cockfighting. And then when you walk out and you see a Queensland healer or a pit bull with a rope around its neck and the coyotes have stripped most of the flesh. It's, it's, or you see cock heads everywhere of chickens or their legs. In other words, people who engage in cockfighting or dogfighting will just throw their corpses out on people's almond orchards or vineyards and then the coyotes kind of clean them up a little bit. And so I'm looking out the other window at my, I have six dogs and they're all what we used to call pound. Now the, the euphemism is rescue dogs, but they were all dumped here. And I saw two people actually dumping, dumping them. So when you spend two or $300 to get them well again and spayed and licensed, that's a, a considerable expense. So when they keep doing it, we don't have the room or the facilities to keep doing it. So what we do is we get spend the two or three hundred, get them have shots, but don't let them into our acre compound, but feed them and treat them well and put shine, as shiny a collar as I can around them. And then what happens is people drive in, they see that beautiful dog, they see that it's got license, they see that it's got vac- every vaccination on dangling from a, a medallion on its collar, and they steal them. They steal them back. So I've lost four of them that way. So it's kind of a way of recycling animals and 
So I don't know where PETA is, and I don't know where the green environmentalists are, because I'm looking out now on my west side on the cross street, which I drove in just an hour ago, and there were uh, the following. There were two car seats, infant car seats. There was an old-style big television, not flat screen, and there was a washer and dryer and a walk-in freezer all along the side of the road. And the message, I guess, is we don't want to pay the $10 or the $15 fee to the county dump and as guest here, it's your duty to pick up after us, because this is what we do in Mexico. And you have to adjust to our culture. And if you were able ever to say that um, you objected to that, that's racist. And I, and I can make that blanket stereotype because on three occasions in the last five years, I actually saw the people doing it. And I intervened and tried to stop them. And it was not an, an easy thing to do. And so I don't know where that mentality comes from, but I surely wouldn't go to Mexico and start dumping things in people's property as a foreign national. But yet we're so far gone that that's considered normative behavior, and to object to it makes you the racist. And it's like the entire terminology of this debate, you know, it's la raza, la raza, la raza, which means, I can tell you as a Latin professor, it's from Latin radics, the race, the race, the race, it's a Franco word, a Franco, the period in Franco Spain. And yet, when you object to that, um, then you're the racist. So if I say to one of my town officials, I resent the Aztec totem that's in the middle of town with the word La Raza on it, then he says, are you racist? And I said, no, you are, because you're using the term the race. At some point, this absurdity, something that can't go on won't go on. And that's what I think's happening because it's predicated on the Democratic Party and the liberal progressive movement advocating a idea or a protocol or a policy of whose consequences they, they expect they're going to be exempt from. So Nancy Pelosi doesn't put her kids in schools in a place like Salma. And she doesn't live anywhere here. She lives in Napa Valley. And Jerry Brown's going to go back to retirement in Grass Valley. But a lot of people aren't, and they're starting to get affected, whether it's a fake ID or now California driver's licenses will not be used for flying as federal IDs because they've been. we have over a million that were issued to people here illegally. So every Californian is going to have to go in and get a new driver's license and show a passport if they want to use that license on an air flight. Californians are told that they're not going to be able to deduct their federal um, on their federal income tax or state income tax, 13% in some cases. And why is that? Because one quarter of the population lives, one quarter to one-fifth lives below the poverty line. One out of every four Californians admitted to a hospital for any cause is suffering from diabetes. And one-third of all welfare recipients are living in California in the, of the entire United States. We can't even say what I just said without being accused of being a racist, but that's the fact. And the cost is in $25, $30 billion added to the cost of running the government. And so everybody knows this is true, so we have a folk wisdom where you talk to people, mostly Hispanic, and they know it's true. And yet we have an official parlance that denies not only denies this, but says you're a racist to even talk about it. I just don't think that can go on when reality is not mirrored in language. 
So the note that we'll close on, especially since you get lumped in from time to time with the so-called nativists, which originally was a term that meant people who basically didn't want any immigration, but now has become an all-purpose epithet for any position which is to the right of open borders. But you actually argue in the piece that you wrote about this that one of the problems with illegal immigration is that it fouls the traditional and desirable ideal of legal immigration that eventually yields assimilation. Make that case for us. Well, we know from a lot of studies what facilitates assimilation is measured immigration, legal immigration, meritocratic immigration, and diverse immigration. People from all over the world with bachelor's degrees, skill sets, coming legally in numbers that can be, you know, three or four hundred thousand a year. They spread all over the United States within two generations, three generations. They're American. But when they all come from one place, and 70% from Latin America or Mexico, and 65 to 70% do not have diplomas, and 80 to 90% do not speak English, and 90% don't have capital, then they stay together, and that melting pot process is retarded, it's eroded, and therefore they need collective representation. And there's always going to be some second or third person Hispanic with a hyphenated name, uh, who's going to stand up and say, I represent all of those people. Vote for me, or I'm going to, I want to be this job or this position based on my ethnic currency because I represent all of those people. And that's what's happening in California, and it's becoming a very tribal society. And meanwhile, below the radar, um, people are people, and they're intermarrying, they're integrating. They're assimilating. So I have a brother who's married to a Mexican-American woman. I have another brother who has two half-Mexican-American children. Um, I have two friends. My wife's family is intermarried with three Mexican-American individuals. And yet, so there's a reality going on, but we have this tribune class that, uh, that is running it, and it's pretty patent why they're doing it. The Democratic Party has flipped California, they've flipped New Mexico, they've flipped Nevada based on ethnic bloc voting, and they think they can eventually do the same in Colorado and Arizona. The Hispanic movement feels that for a careerist class, ethnic chauvinism has paid real dividends in hiring and influential positions. Mexico gets $30 billion in remittances, as well as a safety valve for social tension. And... To be fair, a lot of very wealthy Republican conservative meatpacking, farming, construction, landscaping get cheap labor. And when a man has worked as in you know twenty years and he's got a torn rotator cuff or he's got a AC joint that's torn, then they throw him back onto the social services network and say, "Tell your nephew to come up from Oaxaca, and I'll hire him." And that's where we are. And Trump walks into the middle of this. Gordian knot, and he takes out a knife, and he slices it, and then we call him a racist and a nativist and worse, but he didn't know how to untie it, because nobody knows how to untie it, it can only be cut, the only way, and by cutting, I mean close the border, build your wall, find the employer for hiring people, amnesty the people in the sense of giving them a green card if they haven't broken a crime, broken the law, and they're here for five years, and they're not in public assistance. But nobody could get get to that point because of these particular interests. All right. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Classicist Podcast. Remember, if you haven't already, to pick up a copy of Victor's latest book, The Second World Wars, How the First Global Conflict Was Fought and Won. And if you enjoy the Classicist, please rate the show on iTunes. For Victor Davis Hanson, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.